Welcome. It's great to have you all here. You know, there have been a lot of innovations happening in DNA, and so I decided I'd do a little innovating of my own, and that's when I found out that sometimes when you rearrange DNA, all you get is and. You know, A and D. Okay, come on. Try and keep up here, everybody. All right. Well, it's time to turn it over to someone who always gets his letters in the right row. It's Dr. John with the Technology Spotlight. Well, summer is finally here. It's time for some fun in the sun, right? Well, the problem is a lot of times you get out in the sun, how do you stay cool? You need some cool technology. That's what we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about something called radiative cooling. This is something that some of you might recognize, but the idea here is if you radiate heat at just the right wavelength, then instead of getting absorbed in the air, it'll actually go through the atmosphere and all the way out to space. So it's possible to be able to cool something down even when it's in the sunlight. So it, if you check out this diagram, you can see how the sun comes in and then normally it would hit the roof and then turn into heat that stays trapped in the atmosphere and stays right around, keeps the house warm. But if they use the right kind of paint, specially designed paint, then it'll let the, the heat out in that special mid-infrared band where it'll leak right out to the atmosphere. Well, there's a big problem. What about when you're not in the house? What about when you're just out there having fun? How do you stay cool? Well, some Chinese researchers took this on and they figured out how to make clothes that are pretty cool, <laughs> if you know what I mean. <laughs> and uh, it's kind of a tricky thing because how do you get uh, that same effect where it'll radiate at just the right uh, frequency uh, in something that you can actually wear? So they used nanoparticles and they made some special thread with it. <clears throat> they took their special nanoparticles and coated them with a polytetrafluoroethylene yeah, Mary Poppins would think that's really quite precocious. Believe me, <laughs> that's a big mouthful. Usually we just call it PTFE <laughs> for short. <clears throat> but they used that to hold it all together, and they made this special thread that would actually uh, have this special effect. And then they wove it into a fabric, and uh, you can see here uh, this is their machine to actually make fabric that they could use. <clears throat> So now they were ready to do some experiments. How do you test this and you know, make something that somebody can wear? And uh, they did some experiments. And one of the experiments was to have a graduate student wear this little vest. Half of it was their metafabric, as they call it, and the other half was cotton. And uh, they had him sit out there for an hour. And I'm going to show you the footage in high speed. We're not going to spend an hour. But <laughs> it, it's in infrared. So the more blue is cool and the more red is hot. So here we go. <clears throat> so they put the vest on him, there we go. And he's spending a while, you can see one side's starting to get warmer, but watch as they take it off and look, you can see the temperature of his skin. All right, okay, maybe it was about an hour. Now you can really see a difference. See how one side's much warmer? That's the side that had the cotton and then the other side was with their metafabric. And they got it actually up to about nine degrees Fahrenheit cooler on the side with their metafabric. That's enough to make a pretty big difference, isn't it? And then they tried making a fabric that could cover a car, like a car cover. And they saw up to 54 degrees Fahrenheit cooler with the cover on it. And uh, 
that's because it was reflecting all of the light. So it could make a really, really big difference. So think about what's going on. It's reflecting the visible light. It's reflecting the infrared. It's reflecting the ultraviolet light. And then any heat that it has, it radiates in this special mid-infrared uh, band that'll go right out into space. And so that way, it's actually cooler than room temperature. Uh, some really neat applications. So now they're working on uh, commercializing this so you can actually buy clothes. And I guess, you know, the cool color is going to be white, right? Because <laughs> if they make it another color, it won't work quite as well. Uh, so that'll be pretty good. So we're looking forward to lots of fun in the sun. Hopefully we'll be able to buy these. So I'm ready to be cool. <laughs> Okay, now it's time for a Breakthrough Moments in Science with Tobias. You know, if you're trying to be cool, it doesn't get much cooler than Nick Cage and Shades, okay? No. I, I actually brought these. Um, I didn't know someone else was. You know, that's the problem with being last. You get last dibs of jokes. Joe gets first, and then it's John. Um, but I was going to put these on and say, we're going to talk about the sunshine today. So you might need shades. Now, the sun is pretty amazing, pretty important. I mean, keeps our bodies warm, tans our bodies, okay? It does lots of things, but if you think about it, the sun is pretty much as important as it can get to life. I mean, if you think about it, we are sun-powered creatures, okay? Some of us are like, I'm coffee-powered. Uh, I run on coffee. I run on donuts. Well, I, I walk on donuts. <laughs> but we are. And if you think about it, plants, obviously, they need the sun to grow. Animals eat the plants. And even things like coal, oil, natural gas, those are like old plants and animals that were grown from the sun. And now we're using them again. So it really, and even weather, if the, the water coming down the mountain, the water got up there from the sun, creating the weather and the moisture, raising it to those heights. So the sun is pretty amazing. Well, it turns out it's also very powerful in its energy. So if you took a large one of some of our large deserts on Earth, it turns out six hours of the amount of energy that the desert collects from the sun could power, give us enough power to run the entire world for a year. The amount of power the world consumes in a year you get from six hours in the desert. That's some serious tan, okay? Um, it's pretty, so how can we harness that, that power? And so that's a, a big question that's been around for, it turns out, hundreds of years. And they call it the photovoltaic effect, and that's where we transform sunlight into electricity. And it turns out this was actually discovered, being able to do this in the 1800s, in 1839, a 19-year-old, um, named Edmund Becherel, he figured out how to do this. That's pretty amazing, 19 years old. What were you doing when you were 19? <laughs> uh, some of you, oh, I'm not 19 yet. Well, get ready. It's coming, okay? <laughs> but Edmund Becherel figured out, based on this hypothesis he had, that there has to be a way to take sunlight and use that light, that solar energy, to create an electric current. We're not going to get too deep into the details of how he did it, but he used an electrode uh, with two, di he, 
two different metals depending on uh, what his setup was. He did lots of different setups in a solution. And he had, so the solution would be like a certain kind of acid or mixture. And then he exposed the two different um, pieces of metal to different amounts of sunlight. And he was able to create an electric current. Well, as we start going forward, that would become known as the Becquerel effect. But they changed the name probably because Becquerel, there's kind of this science dynasty because his dad did some really famous science stuff. He did really famous science stuff. His son got a Nobel Prize for the science stuff he did with Marie Curie. So they were, Becquerel's pretty broad. So they called it the vo photovoltaic effect. And today, we still use this technology in what we call solar panels. But we do it more with a solid state setup. And basically, it starts with taking sand and refining it into silicon. Now, we've talked about this before, where we have silicon, we crush it up, we refine it, and they take silicon and they make it into two semiconductors. Now, we're gonna pause for just a minute and jump back to last week in that wonderfully technical LED description. You remember how with an LED, we have two semiconductors sandwiched together. There's a negative side, a positive side. We're gonna do this real fast, folks. The negative side has extra electrons. The positive side has extra holes. And there's a barrier in between, an electric field. So if you look at this graphic, you can see on one side there's a negative charge. On the other side, there's a positive charge. Those positive charges are like holes that the negative, the electrons want to jump into. But they can't till you hook up power, and then the power pushes them over. And when they go on the hole, they put out a photon of light. So the electrons are jumping over into the holes, creating photons of light. So that's how an LED works. And we talked about that. Why are we talking about that? Well, it turns out the same setup is used with solar panels. If we have those two, the negative side, the positive side, but we take away the battery, the power source. Remember, we're not using power. We're trying to make power. We take away the power source. We still have those two sides, but we shine a light onto it like this. And when we shine a light onto it, it the photons knock the electrons out and free them. And so the, as the photons of light hit these two pieces, the electrons are pulled out, and it generates a current, a voltage. And this is the photovoltaic effect actually happening with the silicon pieces, one with a negative charge, one with a positive charge. That's pretty incredible. And my immediate question is, well, wait a minute, wait a minute. So if they're the same system, does that mean LEDs are solar panels? And, and does that mean solar panels are LEDs? Well, it turns out, in a way, they actually are. Solar panels can actually generate a kind of light, not a light we can see because of the materials that are used in those two sides of the diode. But uh, this video I'm going to show next is actually a guy who filmed a solar panel and he removed, first he filmed it hooked up to nine volt batteries. So he's not pulling power, he's running power to the solar panel and he films it with a normal camera and you can't see anything coming off of it. And then he pulls the, a lot of DSLRs have a filter that filters out infrared light. So he pulls that off and he shows it without that filter. So check this out. So we're looking at the solar panel, but wait. So that light that you see coming on and off is actually the power being generated. So not the most bright LED ever, but pretty incredible. And same is true with LEDs. If you shine a light on an LED, you can actually generate a voltage. So pretty incredible that they're both using this. It's kind of, kind of like speakers and microphones in that they use roughly the same setup, 
to do different things, but you could flip them. You can use a microphone as a speaker and vice versa. So pretty incredible. But obviously the big thing now is how can we make them more efficient, being solar panels, and how can we get more power? And so that's kind of the new frontier because solar panels have much more efficiency to be able to harness all of that sun that's cooking the desert into something incredible. But you never know what the great minds that are being raised up right now are going to do to make our future much brighter. Thank you. <laughs> All right, and now introducing Roger Billings. That's not your eight ball? No. Whose is it? It's yours. Okay. <laughs> the problem with being last. <clears throat> is all the good jokes have been told. So I'm going to tell you a DNA joke. <laughs> if you rearrange DNA, you get some mighty strange creatures. <laughs> okay. That's pretty good. Would you like a turn? <coughs> sure. Yeah. Can we get a close-up on her? <laughs> Let's go flying. <laughs> Can I catch it? Welcome. And uh, very interesting discussions today. Appreciate it. I like the idea of these solar collectors being LEDs and LEDs being solar collectors. And uh, Tobias told us it's kind of like a microphone and a speaker. In one case, you have sound being transformed into electricity with a microphone. With a speaker, you have electricity being transformed into sound. And of course, what they're leading up to is hydrogen, right? Of course. It's always hydrogen <laughs> because with hydrogen, if you put electricity into water, you get hydrogen out. If you burn hydrogen with air, you create water. And so it's a cycle. You can reverse it and go back and forth, which is really amazing. But before we get into that, uh, today is einkorn harvest day, right? Yeah. We, we had professionals come in from out west <laughs> to help us with the einkorn harvest, and I... I just need to say that we found where all the water from the drought out west went <laughs> because oh, yeah. we have rain every day. Yeah. So we need a rainy day harvester machine to get our, our wheat harvested. And we got a lot harvested today and yesterday. Then we waited for three or four days of rain. Then we did some last week. It's ready to harvest if it'll just stop raining for a minute. And it's going to rain tomorrow. We still have 80 acres to do. Last year, we, the researchers at the International Academy of Science, planted 90 acres of wheat. 
And when it came time to harvest, we were able to take our big red combine out and whip through that field and have it all harvested in five weeks. It's kind of embarrassing, isn't it? This year, we planted over 300 acres. And I checked, that's more. <laughs> and uh, so we decided we better get a better combine. And thank goodness we did. Mm -hmm. In fact, I want to. Can we take a minute and just show it? It's your show. Okay, should we start at the beginning or right in the middle or end and go backwards? Middle. <laughs> Will you, you please stop me? meddling in my presentation? <laughs> the <Okay>. beginning? <laughs> We'd like to start right in the middle then. This, <laughs> this is the part that Dr. Middle Monet will. <laughs> take it. Go for it. Go for it. All right, well. I will introduce it. When we get in the middle, I'll turn it over to you, okay? Okay. Deal. It started on a cold really? winter morning last fall, and we needed to uh, plant the seeds so that we would be able to get some einkorn wheat because einkorn, remember, is ancient wheat. It's the wheat that's been around for 10,000 years. You say, how do I know that? Well, I'm one of the few people left that can remember. <laughs> and 10,000 years ago, this wheat was growing. It's a hardy wheat. That's why it survived so many years. And it is, is very good for us to consume. Later, people thought that we could eliminate drought by making wheat that didn't waste so much time growing tall. Normal wheat grows four to five feet tall. And it takes a long time to do that. And in some climates, by the time it gets halfway there, the rainy season's over because they have a very short period of time to get rain, so they couldn't harvest. So they did research in the 50s. Actually, it was uh, funded by the World Bank down in Mexico. And they developed a wheat that only grows short and then puts on the heads, and it grows wheat very fast. Unfortunately, though, that wheat causes a lot of people to have reactions and discomfort. And so uh, lately, uh, that wheat is like 90% of the wheat produced in the world. It's really spread in these decades. And when I found out that the ancient wheat doesn't make most kids get sick or break out, or I decided we need that. And it was very hard to get. So some of you have been following the story know that for years we've been trying to find this wheat. We got it. We got just enough to plant a little bit. We planned it. We got more back. We planted it in a bigger place. And uh, now we're up to 300 acres if we can just get it out of the ground. So this is wheat that is very, very healthy. If you haven't tried einkorn yet, you need to do some. And I am very pleased to say now we have a lot of wheat and we have a brick maker. A brick maker? Yeah, it's a Is mason. Is that a mason? Yeah, <laughs> I knew that was coming. A brick maker. I think uh, a mason is someone that uses bricks, but actually it's a machine that uh, allows us to put the wheat into a, a metalized mylar bag and then seal it up with a vacuum. And the vacuum makes it real tight, and we have a mold that is shaped into a, a, a box shape or into a brick, we call it, and when the air is all evacuated, it's, it's really hard because the, 
the air pressure of the atmosphere pushes down on the vacuum inside the bag and, and holds it tight. And we ordered molds so that it would make it exactly the size of one of these shipping boxes of the United States Post Office. So we take that brick, we put it in the box, and we can ship it to anybody for about half of what it would cost if we did normal shipping. You're pretty smart. Well, we're not quite as smart as Amazon. Boy, they've got to figure it out, don't they? <laughs> but it's a way to get this going. So now we, we have a way to package it. Uh, mylar is a, a type of plastic, a pretty common plastic. And if you put weed inside of mylar and seal it up, it won't keep very long because moisture and things will go through the mylar. And so someone figured out if you metalize it, it puts metal in all the little holes in the plastic, the little microscopic holes. And so they put a very thin coat of aluminum on the plastic, makes it look shiny. You've seen that shiny plastic? Well, that's metalized mylar usually. If you put it in a metalized mylar bag, the wheat should be storable for about 30 years. Wow. Which is kind of nice because that way if the post office loses the package. <laughs> that, that never happens. That. No, that never happens. I mean, Ever. back before they had computers. Anyway, but the point is, if someone has weed and they store it, it can stay edible and healthy for a long time. And I, I think it's always wise to store a little bit of food for a rainy day, and we're having a rainy day, but it, it's uh, nice to be able to ship them that way. And the nice thing about the einkorn is when you do finally eat it, it is a very, very healthy wheat, and it doesn't make uh, people sick. I've still been sending samples out to people that wanted to try it, and so far I have 100% saying that no one has had the adverse stuff they normally have with wheat. Wheat is a very healthy food, and one we should all enjoy. Yeah. And I really enjoy this einkorn. Now, einkorn has another property that I'm going to show you a photograph in a minute, and that is it grows and grows, it gets tall, it waves in the wind, it's beautiful. And then right when you think it's ready to harvest, we had a shocking experience the first year we raised yeah. it because one day we went out there and the whole field was starting to turn black. Yeah. Oh no, something's wrong. And we contacted the einkorn weed expert and said, help. And he said, oh no, that just means you have black einkorn wheat. He said, it's the best kind. <laughs> I knew that. <laughs> but it's really interesting. According to a lot of studies, uh, which are published primarily by researchers in Japan, the black einkorn weed is supposed to help prevent uh, some kinds of diseases and some kinds of cancers. So it's not only really healthy for you with all the vitamins, minerals, and protein, but it, it's good stuff. We have black einkorn wheat, and I want to show you that. But you still want to start in the middle, you want to go to the beginning? No, I want to start at the beginning. Okay. So I'd now like to turn some time over to Dr. Peje Monet to introduce me. <laughs> Not oh. that far back? <laughs> Would you want to be introduced for real? Yeah. Are you sure? Joseph? <laughs> <laughs>
No, are you sure? Mm. No, I'm, I'm, I'm not sure. Okay, then I'm going to just do it. Okay, just do it. So my people and I, <laughs> I have people. <laughs> yes, you do. <laughs> I do. She does have people. And they wanted to hear from me tonight. Okay. They, said they did. Do you guys mind if we take a time out here for just a second? We're running short. We have given you a name. I have a name. Thank I you. I know. Your name is Roger Billings. My parents gave me a name. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Thank you. But, but we have been discussing this, and this is a real thing. Names so, are real. The, the brand, the name we want to... A brand? Think about it. Yeah. Is R. What? Mm -hmm. R. My people and I like the name R. And since so it's July... O-G-E-R, gone? Yeah. <laughs> You're taking my name away? Uh-huh. And B-I-L-L-I-N-G-S. That too. Is with it. It's yeah. gone. <laughs> and I'm just, it's you know. still your name, but this is... This is R. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't see that coming. <sighs> but today's a very good day. It's July 14th, 2021. And I think it's a perfect day to launch it. Are you sure? I am sure. Are you ready? So, no. students, parents, grandparents, all of my people... I'm going to let the video go. <laughs> Are you serious? Yes. See? R. <laughs> and you have now been launched. Was, the brand R. What's the little red thing on there? That's the engine. That's oh, the yeah, rocket. Right. It's the rocket. Okay, good. So. Thank you. I've always wanted an R. You got one. This What's is your the R. circle? That is the black hole. <laughs> <laughs> I'll work on it. So, did you really want me to start? The okay. Beginning so, of the like I was saying, <laughs> we started out clear back last fall to plow up the ground so that we could plant the einkorn wheat. We let it grow all winter. You say, how's it grow in the winter when it's cold? It doesn't. It grows, then it dies, or at least it seems to die, and in the spring it bounces back. Can we show that? Yes. Let's take a picture. Okay, this is us planting the wheat. Think about it. You drop a seed in the ground, and what is it going to do? It's going to capture energy from the sun. And I want to talk about that a little bit later. But weeks and weeks later, it develops and it looks like this. That's pretty. Yeah, and that pretty looks like really healthy grass, and these are those rows of einkorn wheat that we planted starting to come up. Mm -hmm. And after the einkorn grows, 
then it looks like this. Now, if you look, that's a pretty big field. It is. And the field goes about twice as far as you can see in that photograph. And it's beautiful as it, it kind of waves. Can we zoom in on that just a little bit by going to the next image? Mm -hmm. Ah, what a nice zoom in. That's and you pretty. can see it, and you'll notice those heads, some of them are starting to turn color already. Mm -hmm. And now we're going to zoom in even more. Wow. Now you can see the individual grains here. Now this is before they start to turn. But right near the, harp, the, the harvest time, these little grains of wheat in the head start turning, the little uh, hairs coming out of them. Let's, let's look at this video of what it looks like later. Different. It's fun to watch how the wind blows through and makes it dance. You can see exactly where the wind is. It's a beautiful thing, this harvest. So now the sun has been captured and the sun's energy is stored inside those grains of wheat and whoever eats them is going to be able to use that energy to run, walk, jump, or study a cellist. Does that make sense? Good. <coughs> that was supposed to be off camera. <coughs> That's the show. We're all human. Not all of us. <laughs> no comment. Okay. So we got that beautiful, beautiful wheat, and we have 100 acres. We did 90 last year, and we harvested it in just five weeks. So that means we could harvest 300 acres in three times five, 15 weeks. By then, it's all going to fall to the ground and be wasted, right? Yeah. So we had to upgrade. Upgrade what? We had to upgrade our machine that picks the wheat. We call that a combine. Now, it's an interesting thing. What do you think we call it a combine? Because it combines all the wheat in one area. No, I'm sure that's it. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me. That's or it's good combing enough. it. No, that's it's good. Combing it's combining it. It's the being. A combine. Yeah, combine. <laughs> Why not? <laughs> well, because of the size of the field and realizing that we might need to get it out fairly fast because we predicted it might rain, and rain, and rain, and rain, and rain. We got two combines. We are very fortunate to find a couple. One of them is giant. Yeah. And one of them's big. The other one's really, really giant. Um, you want to see a picture? Yes, I do. Okay, here's a picture. This is the pair of combines. And uh, they are ready to, to roll, as you can see. The big one uh, cuts a swath that is 35 feet wide, and the little one is, is smaller. <laughs> All right, would you like to see it in action? I would love to see it Okay, roll that combine. Here it goes. Can you see how it's chopping down the wheat? And out the back is the shaft. That's the stems and the part we don't want. And the wheat is separated inside that machine and is stored in the bin. Can we say that one more time? I think it's pretty neat. And uh, what we really ought to do, you feel the space bar? Space bar, stop, stop. Okay, now drag it backwards. 
I guess it's neat when it goes backwards. There it goes, there it goes, there it goes. <coughs> yeah, that's pretty good. All right, now forward. Yeah. It is amazing. It chops the wheat down and it actually pulls the part that's edible out and makes it all ready for us to be able to, uh, to process. Now, one of the difficulties we ran into with einkorn is that when we get it out of the combine, the wheat is inside a little sheath. And we call it a husk. And it's very, very hard to get out of that, that husk or the hole. And uh, normal wheat is easier, but this wheat's hard. And we tried a normal deholer machine, and it got about half of it out. And so we eventually had to order this big Meatsy special machine designed for ancient wheats from, from Germany to be able to dehull it. The only problem with this machine is when we got it over here, the machine did not speak English. <laughs> but it speak. Guten Tag! What's the Max do? Anyway, the machine uh, wasn't set up for our power and we had to fix that. But I'd like to show you the machine. Like see it. Here it is, chugging away. And you can see the wheat in the middle. And this is an amazing machine. So it has the hole around it, which is not pleasant to eat. And so it's deholing it. And as it gets the hole off, it comes shooting out the chute. And that hand there is catching it. And there's the beautiful line corn wheat. And that's right in our little shed. And so after putting all these steps together, we now have wheat that we can ship to anybody that wants it. And furthermore, the wheat is the kind that you can plant again. So a box of this wheat is about what we started with. And if you want to plant things in. Now our, our experts from the West, I think, are going to plant some, right? Mm -hmm. Is that right? It's spreading. The it's good spreading. news is spreading. And I think it's kind of a miracle. And as Joseph was trying to say tonight, the reason that we can do this is because the wheat does have DNA which is a little formula built in so it knows how to make some more. And, and it really is quite amazing. So what else have you got to show us? I know, but you have a lot of questions coming in of where they can get the wheat. Where they can get a the lot. wheat. Where yeah. can they get the wheat? Yeah. Uh, you know what we ought to do? We ought to decide that right now. Does anyone know where David is? Yeah, he's, Mr. David? he's absent tonight. David is absent. Mark him down. <laughs> this is supposed to be Science Live. Is he ill? It's because he didn't eat the wheat. <laughs> I'll bet he's watching. Do you think he's watching? He better be. <laughs> if he's not. David, if you're watching, send a message. Okay. David, as we all know, is the guy in charge of the Acela store. Yes. And he puts all the stuff, like the hydrogen bottles and everything in the store. Why can't you put wheat in the store? Mm -hmm. I don't know why he can't Wouldn't do that. that be good? Yes. And we like that because whenever we get stuff at the hydrogen store, if you use the Acellus ID, you get these big discounts. I love the hydrogen store. I love store. discounts. It's not the hydrogen store, What's is it? What's not? has hydrogen bottles in it. It has I've the hydrogen rebranded and I've been corrected. <laughs> What's left? I was asking. <laughs> I wasn't correcting. 
Could we start over? Can, can we just erase <laughs> this, Tobias? Just edit that part out. We're going to start over. Please. I'd like to welcome everyone. <laughs> All right. Now, I think it's a good idea. I think it is, too. And um, actually, uh, David is on this big project. He's decided that we don't have nearly enough Acellus things. And so he's got these hoodies that are coming. Are they about ready to go? Yeah, he's got the hoodies being made. They're pretty neat. I'm going to get one. I say a solace. Yeah. Put them on. You're smart. <laughs> Automatic smart. smart. <laughs> but my goal this fall is to just triple or quadruple all of the Acellus things we have. I want to sell us everything. Keychains, flashlights. If you have an idea of something you'd like, tell us. Okay? Okay. I mean, then send message to her. She'll tell David. Some of the students have figured out, is there anything wrong with the sauce? Just tell Dr. Peget and she gets it done. <laughs> Some things. <laughs> I'm very careful what I pass on. <laughs> you know. <laughs> True. All right. I, I won't go there. Good. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> but what I would like to do is go back to the sun. So according to Mr. Tobias, Nick Cage, <laughs> Schwarzenegger, all those guys, whoever he is, all of the water coming down the rivers is from the sun. The sun powers the rivers by heating up the water in the ocean, evaporating it, send it up the top of the mountain, dropping it down. So the whole water system is solar powered. He even says, and you, you may have missed this part, but he says that coal and oil are made by the sun because coal and oil, he says, are made out of plants and animals. Plants made out of coal, oils made out of animals? Well, he, is that how it works? <laughs> I missed that part, too. Well, until he taught us that tonight, I, I was having a hard time putting two and two together. He says that oil and coal are made out of plants and animals. And so I've been doing it all these years, you know, but now I understand why when you're driving a car, they call it horsepower. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's it. Anyway, no one under 12 is allowed to get that joke. Okay, but anyway, going on, the idea of all of the energy on this planet coming from the sun is really quite significant. And you can look at all the different systems and it all is energy that originally came from the sun. And the only exception that I know of is when we have a nuclear reaction like a, you know, a nuclear power plant. Now we're talking about something that is in the uh, uranium or the plutonium, something that's decaying radioactively. There's a, a very interesting understanding that we should have about energy. All of the energy from the sun comes from a nuclear reaction. In the sun, 
we're taking hydrogen and combining it, not with oxygen. If you combine hydrogen and oxygen together, you get water, and that gives off energy, but not enough energy to power a star like our sun. To do that, you have to combine hydrogen with hydrogen. And not as a chemical reaction, but you actually have to do it as a nuclear reaction. So you smash them together so they're not hydrogen anymore. They are helium. Helium is two hydrogen atoms smashed together, two electrons, two protons, two neutrons. And that is the reaction of the sun. And there's a little piece here I think would be really interesting for everybody to understand if you don't. If you weigh the hydrogens with an atomic scale, and then you wait for them to be reacted together and you weigh the helium that you make, the hydrogens weigh more than the helium does. The two hydrogens weigh more than one helium. And the difference in weight is matter that disappeared. Where did it go? How can matter just, you combine them and it disappears? And that's where Einstein figured it out and published his really, really important discovery. He said that the matter that disappears is turned into energy. And not just a little bit of energy, but an enormous amount of energy, a tiny speck of mass, becomes an enormous amount of energy. And he even came up with a formula so you could calculate how much energy. He says the amount of energy you get, which he called E, E is for energy. <laughs> yep. The amount of energy is equal to the amount of mass that disappears times the speed of light, which is fast, times the speed of light, or the speed of light squared. And that's why stars, like our sun, can give off so much energy for so long, because these tiny little specks of matter that are being transformed into energy create an enormous amount of energy. And that's a really, really fascinating thing. It's amazing. So that energy is really related to the energy that happens in our nuclear reactors on this Earth where we use uranium or plutonium. And in this case, we're not putting two hydrogens together. Instead, we're taking a great big atom like uranium and we're splitting it apart. And when we split it apart, it gives off energy by radioactive decay, and when we weigh it, it weighs less. And the tiny little speck of matter that disappeared is the amount of energy it generates. And that's why an atomic bomb can be so powerful, because there's so much energy. It's why we can power a big ship like an aircraft carrier for decades 
with this nuclear fuel because it has so much energy in it that I think it's pretty amazing. So what makes two hydrogens go together? Romance. <laughs> what makes two hydrogens go together? And it actually turns out that the the thing that really is needed to make them go together is very, very high temperatures. And we have reactors we built, we call them fusion reactors, that fuse hydrogen isotopes together. And those reactors are very, very, very high temperatures. Temperatures approaching the sun. When it's hot enough, then they'll stick together and combine. And it's... Uh, we would have enough energy to run this whole world with energy for everybody to spare just by taking hydrogen, heavy hydrogen, out of the ocean and combining it to make helium, except for one little tiny detail. And that is when we build a, a reactor, a, a fusion reactor, and we put the hydrogen in and we combine it, it is so hot it melts the reactor. And you say, well, let's use stainless steel. It melts it. Well, let's use those special tiles they put on the space shuttle for reentry. It would melt it. There is no substance we found on Earth that can withstand those temperatures. And, you know, when you start talking about temperature on the surface and in the core of the sun, you're talking about a million degrees. It's very, very, it's, it's warmer than on those deserts. So... In, in some of the experiments being done today, we're trying to contain that fusion reactor by making a bottle out of a magnetic field. So it's just nothing there to melt because the magnets are out here and they're cooled and they just make a very strong magnetic field. And that sort of works. We actually have been able to get fusion reactions to take place inside these fusion reactors. One of the most famous designs of a nuclear reactor is what physicists call a tokamak. Sounds like a Native American reactor doesn't, but actually it's from the Soviet Union, the original design. But the tokamak is the one we were talking about earlier. It's a donut. The magnetic bottle is shaped like a donut. It's a big donut. So they have magnets that form a field, and when they put the hydrogen in there to react it, it squeezes it into the shape of a donut. And it squeezes it so hard that they then pump energy into it, and it gets, it gets hot. And they actually have been able to get this reaction of the sun to take place right here on planet Earth. But every time they get it started, the someplace in that donut, a little bit of the reactant gas starts to leak out. And when a little bit leaks out, topologically it becomes unstable and squirts out. So they can't hold it long enough to get more energy out than it took to get it started. And their big goal is to actually make energy, not lose it. If you have to use a million watts or watt hours, to ignite it, you'd like to get more than a million watt hours out so you can do some useful work. And so far, that's the challenge. But just think, 
if we can perfect that magnetic bottle, we will have all the energy we need for thousands of years. And that's pretty exciting, isn't it? That's very exciting. Mm -hmm. We could talk more about that. We could that. have so many questions. But I want to I want to come back for a minute to. So a big challenge. A big challenge, and and you know all of you guys that are, are catching on to the Bill Air spirit of mentorism, realize <laughs> that when you say big challenge, you're a big opportunity. <laughs> if there's a challenge, all we have to do is solve it. If it's a little challenge. There'll be a little reward, but you solve a big one. Mm -hmm. You've got right. something, right? That's why we study so hard, because we want to be able to take on the big ones. But the challenge is, how can we capture this energy that's just flooding down on the earth for the benefit of mankind? According to Mr. Tobias, there's enough energy hitting the deserts to power the whole earth. All we've got to do is capture that energy and use it. We're building solar collectors, and Tobias says the challenge is to make the solar collectors more efficient. And I suggest, since there's so much energy, maybe more important than making them efficient is making them affordable. I'll make a bigger one if it costs less. But usually as you make them bigger, they cost more. So trying to figure out a way to capture that energy is going to be a secret to be able to go forward. Now, somebody noticed that there already is a very efficient solar collector, and it's called plants. Plants capture the sun, and they grow trees, and you can cut down a tree and build a campfire, and you get heat off of it. That's solar energy coming out that was stored by the plant. It's really interesting to me how a plant stores solar energy. Some of you think probably some of Musk's batteries. No. No, because back when plants were first learning how to do this, Musk hadn't been invented yet. Okay? But seriously, the way they do it is plants capture out of the air, out of the atmosphere, they capture CO2 molecules. What's CO2? Carbon dioxide. Where does the carbon dioxide come from? I make it. I'll make you some. It's true. I take sugars and fuel into my body. I breathe in oxygen. I react it. I make energy to power myself and I put out my fumes, which are carbon dioxide. It's the same thing that gasoline engines put out. And the CO2 goes into the air. And one of the problems, you get too much CO2, it captures heat like a car that's got all the windows rolled up. But plants, they're looking for that CO2. There's not very much in air, but they find a CO2 molecule, and they snag it. I mean, plants really do this. They, they snag a CO2, <laughs> they rip it apart, a carbon, some oxygen. The carbon they put into the tree. That's how they capture the energies, with that carbon. They put it into the plant. What do they do with the oxygen? Whew. They let it go like butterflies. 
And that is how the earth breathes. The rainforests produce enormous amounts of oxygen. Plants produce the oxygen we breathe. We burn the oxygen, oxygen and produce the CO2 that plants need. So we're symbiotic. We're in a relationship here together. The problem is if we start producing too much CO2 because we're burning bigger and bigger and bigger vehicles, we may put out more than the plants can keep up with. You know, we have big rainforests, and some of those have been cut down for development. And when you cut down a lot of trees, not, not just one or two, when you cut down forests of trees, then you're cutting down the Earth's ability to get rid of the CO2 and make that oxygen. That's a problem we have. But the good news is most of the CO2 that is eaten by plants and converted back into oxygen is done so by little one-cell plants called plankton in the ocean. And thank goodness for that, isn't it? an amazing earth. Yeah, and that's the point I wanted to say because <laughs> it is. that's where it really gets good. Can you yeah. see this hydrogen bottle? Mm -hmm. It's got glass. Mm -hmm. And if we screw off the lid and put in some of that, not actually plankton, but algae. Mm -hmm. And algae, by the way, is what I meant to say. Plankton's a little bit different. But algae is a one-cell plant. If we put the, plant, the algae in here, put the lid back on, and then put it in the sun, the sun will come in, and the algae will grab the CO2 out of the air and grow. But guess what? It can't get the CO2 because I put the lid on. <laughs> kind of mean. So guess what it does? <laughs> what? It still wants to do its thing, and so it rips the water apart to get that oxygen and lo and behold hydrogen bubbles off and there is a way to produce hydrogen yep. you can produce hydrogen by taking a certain type of blue-green algae putting it in water exposing it in the sun and the only thing you have to do is block the air and literally, you can make large ponds of blue-green algae, and you can grow the algae, which is a good protein food ingredient. I won't say good to eat, but good for you. Good for animal feed. <laughs> and a byproduct is hydrogen. It's a way we can make a lot of hydrogen. There are so many opportunities for invention, for technology, and that's why you should get busy on your science fair projects. <laughs> the hoodies are coming tomorrow. The hoodies are coming tomorrow. Yes. Is that true? Yes. So next week, are you going to wear one and show us? I would love to. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. The hoodies are coming. Hooray, hooray. Yeah. Um, and I might add that uh, to be able to get a decent price on the hoodies, we've got two 
for every person on the planet. I get two? Oh, maybe ten. We got a lot of hoodies. So that'll be fun. That's good. But we wanted to try and make them affordable so David, that's probably why he's not here. He's afraid I heard how much he spent. Oh, yeah, yeah, they are yeah, that. Okay. Anyway, so anyway, 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 the science fair, as you know, is, is an exciting time. We, we have a chance to apply the scientific method to accomplish something. And of course, the biggest thing from the science fair for me was launching my whole career in hydrogen. And I continue to explore the hydrogen opportunities today. I really am excited about what I would be able to do in my career if I had grown up with the cells. When I see five-year-olds reading the third and fourth grade levels and I see kids picking up these technologies and understanding, it really thrills me. And Acellus is a, an opportunity to be like those big green machines that are harvesting all that weed, only Acellus lets you harvest all of that knowledge. Not only to get it inside you, but get it inside you in such a way that you can use it to empower you to do great things. When we eat the wheat that we're harvesting, we've got energy to exercise and, and do many things. When we eat that knowledge and we really master it, it gives us the power to be able to take on enormous challenges and succeed. And that really excites me. Acellus is going to help you change the world. Stay hard. Okay. I'm turning it over to you now. <laughs> Thank you. R, R is turning it over to PJ. Uh, PJ. <laughs> PJ. P Thank you. I deserve that. See you next I time. <laughs>